1: Mutation, it is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward.
0: Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. Chris, how are you doing this week? Jesse, I'm doing great, man. I have been reading so many comics. As you've told me, I'm excited to hear about all this.
1: Oh, I've been diving into the Hickman X-Men run. Mm. It's a very expansive thing, very big. You know, When it was really starting to get going was when I moved, so I'm kind of catching up on that. Like I said, it's a lot, but it's really fun. The Daredevil run that's happening right now is fantastic. And uh, I'm going to be reading a lot of Spawn. You told me the Spawn thing, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. What spurred that? During the winter, I watched the HBO cartoon show. There you go. I still have not seen that, by the way. You should. I think it's going to be a Halloween watch for me every year. Oh, man. Excellent.
0: I've heard good things. As we've talked about in the podcast, you know... I'm a fan of Spawn in the past, but it, it fell off for me, even though something I really enjoyed. And I'd like to learn more of the lore of that world and especially where it's at these days. Oh, it's still going. And apparently it's really good right now. I've heard
1: some more things. So Spawn is in a resurgence at the moment.
0: Now, do you think people can just jump into Spawn like with the new stuff? I have no idea. Can we touch base on this next week? We certainly should. And we can because I'm really looking forward to if I could just jump in you know, some of the stuff's going on now. I do, Chris, actually have a lot of some of the older comic, you know, some of the ones that were printed a lot. I don't think I have any money on my hands or anything, but you know, some cool covers and things like that. So I'd like to see where New Spawn is going. It's very exciting to hear that it's doing well. And the HBO show is also good as well. It's something. I liked it a lot.
1: I don't know if I'm going to go out and call it good. It's a little self-serious, but if you roll with the punches it's really fun and it's done in the same animation style that the, the original Batman series was done. Just those beautiful drawn on that beautiful black paper. Yep. And
0: those lines, those clean mm-hmm. lines and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm a big fan of that. I think that's part of the allure for me for sure. And let's be honest too, Chris spawns always a little self-serious. That's oh yeah. The, that's it's part, part of the game. Fun. That's part of the fun, full fantasy about, you know, all these things, but then it's also like full serious. Like the fantasy is just how the world is, you know? I choose to take it seriously in the same way I take Warhammer 40K seriously. And that is firmly with my tongue in my cheek. That's a good analogy entirely. Yeah. So I will use that for future use because that's helpful. But, you know, some of these stories have a lot of gravitas and weight to them. And, you know, another example of that is like anytime John Constantine comes around, I mean, that's a character I love. It's a little self-serious as well. But those type of stories are fun. Like the fantasy there, that serious, sometimes too serious fantasy, but it's still grounded in the fantasy. I'm I'm a big fan of that as listeners of the podcast know. I mean, things like the Sandman, as you know, are my favorite comics. So there's a lot of things here. There's a lot of similarities, these horror similarities and things. So it is exciting to hear, you know, segueing this into our show, Chris, this is going to lead, obviously, we're going to have more characters in the future on MCP, some that we, which are currently out, which we haven't done anything on things like Frank Castle. I'm talking about self-serious stuff, but also serious stuff. And then, you know, you mentioned Frank Castle. I'm looking forward to stuff like that. Right. Frank Castle is... uh... It's going to be tough. (laughs) I
1: know, man. I just got done reading uh, one of the more recent The Last Punisher run. Of course, they stopped with any Punisher solo series after the Punisher imagery got taken over by extreme right wing groups. But it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good
0: run. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's such a great character. He really is. Bring John Berthal back, man. Please, please bring him back. (laughs) You, You just can't refute it. It's good. Well, outside of the world of comics, there's actually been a lot going on in the MCU. So we've been keeping up with WandaVision and Chris and I have some side content planned for that. So I'm basically excited to say that we've been watching it every Friday, having a blast. It's been very different from the other MCU content. So something I think Chris and I will have hopefully a couple interesting and maybe good things to say about. So we're going to do a side episode on that. Just Chris, what do you think about this format of just getting new Marvel content every Friday, similar to The Mandalorian?
1: I'm really into having a show to watch, I don't watch a whole lot of TV at the moment, right? so having one to look forward to is cool. I'm still waiting to see where the show goes. Of course. I
0: think I'm in on it still. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm curious where it's going. Chris and I, of course, have a bunch of speculation and ideas probably where it's going, and we could be completely right or completely wrong. It's just an interesting start to this Marvel television universe basically which is a new thing
1: and just the way they're slow burning this story there is no telling where it's going to end up
0: that's actually pretty exciting
1: yeah yeah i'm really curious i'm a little worried given the missteps by other film studios trying to i'm assuming introduce mutants that's what i'm just assuming is happening
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i you know i'm a little worried we'll see though there's some good stuff Coming. We know there's good stuff coming nonetheless because they've already taken so many risks with this show, which is a breath of fresh air in the MCU for sure. That's very so true. That's very true. Keep a lookout for Chris and I's WandaVision episode. It's just been a good time to be also an MCP fan. You know, as we mentioned recently, Angela, Enchantress, and of course, She Hulk are now. Fully out for everyone, which is great. And, you know, within a month or less, Chris, we're going to have all these inhumans. And once again, Atong Mass has given us a couple more spoilers on the inhumans. We still don't have Lockjaw's card. We don't have Crystal's card. We do actually have. Medusa's card. So yeah, Chris, just going straight into Medusa. We know now that she's actually four threat, which caught me off guard. Originally, I was thinking maybe she would be a three. I'm not really sure why I thought that, but she's a four threat. She has 12 health total, which is really nice. Medium move. But her defenses are kind of like the three threats, average defenses, three, three, three. But it turns out all of her superpowers and all of her attacks, move models, displace models, push and throw models. So they're bringing a new type of character to the game, Chris, that's just completely about displacement. And I think I see why her defenses are not four, four, four or something, because she might just stay around for too long, maybe. Yeah, she
1: looks to be an absolute powerhouse, honestly. I was a little surprised as well that they went with the fourth threat, but the Inhumans are probably my, my biggest hole
0: when it comes to Marvel knowledge. So I've got a lot to learn still. She is pretty powerful, which, you know, some of the crossover stories I've read and I've seen. It's just interesting to wrap your head around these concepts. And she, of course, has the innate inhuman ability, which I still think is so good. This character may reroll one die in its attack or defense roles. Oh, Same absolutely. thing Black Bolt has. Same thing I'm assuming Crystal and Lockjaw are going to have. Just such a cool, baked in secondary part of their affiliation, just like how the Asgardians have their leadership, but then they also have Asgardian gain more power during the power phase. It's cool. She, of course, has. The same thing Angela has on Medusa is called Living Strands. Enemy characters cannot place a movement tool overlapping Medusa's base. Enemy characters cannot reroll or change attack dice when targeting this character with attack. So they can't do any rerolls. Modify their dice seems really good. So that makes her a little bit more defensive as well. And she's got an A2 attack that, you know, moves people and it's pretty high dice, but she is all physical, which, you know, we know is a weakness in this game because it's the most represented defense. You know, not everything
1: can be perfect when it comes to this character. Shouldn't be. I mean, that split ends attack just, you know, I see something like that and I immediately just want the absolute dream of getting four characters in that A2. Seven strength. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That could be so effective. That could be so cool.
0: Yeah, definitely, Chris. I think one of the main reasons we're going to see her a lot in certain List is this royal decree active superpower that costs two. Choose an allied character within range two of Medusa. Place this character within range one of the chosen character or place the chosen character within range one of Medusa. A character may be placed by the superpower only once per turn. So this is some complicated stuff, but it's really quite simple. It's Medusa chooses someone within range two. She can place herself within range one of them, or they can place themselves within range one of her. Combine this with Lockjaw's teleport, Chris, we've got a crazy amount of mobility out of in humans that I wasn't really ready for outside of Lockjaw. I'm really interested to see
1: them on the table and see how how they move as a unit, see how quickly they can respond to various, you know,
0: pokes and prods and things. It's going to be really weird. I mean, they're going to be a pretty unique elite faction. It seems like, you know, similar to Asgard in this game, but maybe even more so synergistic, you know, a lot of people, sometimes with Asgard, they'll take, you know, maybe Thor, Angela and Valkyrie and call it a day, you know, and then make the rest of their team, whatever they want. With this, I don't know, Chris. It seems like the more Inhumans you have, the more benefits you're getting. They really are kind of that elite sort of ball team. They just ball up and move up the board. But we'll see when we get more information about Crystal and Lockjaw. But I'm super intrigued. I think the Medusa sculpt is absolutely stunning. Dallas and Will both painted their versions on the stream. They did some vibrant reds and purples. It's just absolutely wonderful. Check those streams out. And, you know, now we've got a little bit more information on Lockjaw and Crystal in in the form of tactics cards. So I'm going to read these and then we'll just discuss them. So Crystal's tactics card, unique to her, is called Elemental Infusion. It's unaffiliated. It's an active tactics card. So that means, of course, anywhere Crystal is, you can play this card as long as she's in your list. Crystal may spend two power to play this card until this character is dazed or until the end of the round. When an enemy character that is within range three of Crystal suffers damage From an allied character's effect. So, you know, a throw, attack, etc. And after the effect is resolved, that enemy character gains one of the following special conditions incinerate, stun, or slow because I think our predictions about crystal possibly being a control mage might be coming true, at least from this card. You know, I love being right. (laughs) It's true. Well, it just fits her character, right? Oh yeah. We didn't have any insider info or anything like that. It just seems like someone who can conjure the elements and, you know, they even teased in their article, she's going to do different conditions baked into her attacks. It's just cool now that she also is giving conditions out from a card. So basically you place Crystal somewhere on the board within range three of a bunch of enemies. You place this card down, you pay for it. And you know, that means that someone like Hawkeye could be way back behind Crystal. He's shooting arrows at people. And as long as damage is dealt and crystals within range three of them, she's putting one of these conditions on top of what Hawkeye just did to them. You know, that's just a quick example. Incinerate stun and slow are really good. Incinerate is really oppressive. Really oppressive. Making the enemy lose one defense dice on all their saves, it's absolutely oppressive. So I think this is a really unique card. I don't know how much we'll see it, and we'll know more when we see Crystal's card, but I think it's really cool. She can move up the table, kind of plant her feet on an objective or something, and then she can play this card, and then the rest of your team behind her, if they're doing damage to enemies, you're giving out conditions left and right. And as long as Crystal's not dazed, you just keep giving to give them out. The next card on here is... Definitely the standout card. It's called Last Minute Save. It is also unaffiliated. It's a reactive card. So this is Lockjaw's unique card. So as long as he's in your list, you can play this. When another allied character within range three of an allied Lockjaw would be KO'd. Lockjaw may spend three power to play this tactics card. The allied character removes one damage, is not KO'd, and is placed within range one of Lockjaw. So you save them from death. Correct. And... Pull them out of danger. The little teleport. Pretty cool. If you were at the max distance, that would be a range three plus a range one. Basically teleport back to Lockjaw. So this is pretty crazy, Chris. This is kind of... Like Gwen's lifesaver and Odin's blessing mixed into one card, and we know how strong Gwen's lifesaver is, and we know how strong Odin's blessing is. You take it every time you have an Asgard team. I think this is a super cool card. We already had our our hopes, dreams, and fears wrapped up in how good Lockjaw is probably going to be, and this is just furthering all those thoughts for me.
1: Absolutely, this is just confirmation. Lockjaw is going to break the whole game.
0: <laughs> Doubt that but he will be a nice addition and a powerful piece in the right hands. And I'm very confident in that. And who doesn't want a dog on their team? I want a dog on my team. Until Lucky the Pizza Dog is in this game, Hawkjaws is the go-to. He's the go-to. So now, Chris, we're caught up on you know, all the good spoilers. I'm sure they're about to drop more soon. It's exciting to learn more about these Inhumans. I'm intrigued more and more every day, not only for how they're going to play in the game, but for our episodes about the Inhumans. I can't wait. Same. I'm looking forward to diving into their lore. But we're not talking Inhumans today, Chris. We are talking another member of the Brotherhood of Mutants, actually, another important member that comes up a lot, Toad. So I think we just got to get into him. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games Inc.
0: Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support.
1: And this week, we have a big shout out to Steve S. Steve, thank you so much, man.
0: Thank you, Steve. And of course a huge thank you to our adventure producers, Matthew R. and Brett C. Chris, let's get into this lore. All right, everybody.
1: Now, it's another change of pace here. This is a character that's been around since the 60s, but doesn't have a ton of lore, so it's going to be a shorter one this week, which is a huge departure from where we've been. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, just a quick synopsis of who Toad is. Mortimer Tonby, he was born a mutant. He did not have a mutation during during puberty or late puberty or anything like that. He was delivered as a baby, not looking human, looking like Toad. So as a result of that, he's kind of had a rough go of it. He's been kind of a mainstay in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He's struggled with depression at times. He has had opportunities to turn it around, but that lack of self-esteem and, and everything just always kind of comes around, bites him in the butt, and he goes back to being a bad guy. But before we get into his lore, let's talk about Toad's superpowers. Now, like any character that's been around for this long, he's going to have gone through some changes, some power augmentations. A lot of times, characters like Toad gain power through the years. You know, they'll be a writer's favorite character or a writer wants to change things up. So they take someone like Toad, who initially comes in as kind of a lackey, and, you know, kind of power him up a little bit. Toad's main power set, of course, is his superhuman like strength, His endurance, his agility, reflexes, coordination, balance, and that just amazing superhuman leaping ability. And I think that is the version of Toad that we're getting in MCP. It's that initial Brotherhood of Evil Mutants kind of Magneto's Lackey Toad. Correct. Later on, he is going to gain some sort of more superhuman strength. He's going to learn how to kickbox. He's going to learn how to kind of secrete toxins. And after the X-Men, the 2000 X-Men movie, he gains a prehensile tongue. He did not have the tongue early on. That comes later after he is on the big screen with a prehensile tongue. And the most recent augmentation to his powers, which I honestly only read about, I didn't, I haven't seen it in action yet, uh, unless I just forgotten. But he has gained the ability to light his tongue on fire. So he can wrap you up, crush you with his tongue, and then light his tongue and you on fire. Yeah,
0: that's pretty insane.
1: It's a little wacky. Toad was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Some names we're very familiar with around here. He first appeared in X-Men number four, March 1964. So Toad is born Mortimer Toneby. He's born in York, England and he was abandoned by his parents at a very, very early age and raised in an orphanage. Due to his body mutation, he is constantly singled out and picked on. He dropped out of school at a very early age, decided to go it alone. He develops a severe inferiority complex and basically at the slightest sign of affection, he becomes subservient to that person. And of course, The 1960s Magneto will use this to his advantage because he's a very bad man (laughs) and recruit Toad into the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He gains the nickname Toadie there, kind of a play on words on his power, and the fact that he is a sycophant to Magneto. As a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Toad, of course, aided in all of Magneto's schemes- Toad tried to infiltrate the X-Men at one point, but was discovered because they recognized his power set. And it is during the end of this run with the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that Toad finally kind of realizes that Magneto doesn't really have his best interest at heart, doesn't really much care for him, and Toad abandons the team with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. From here, Toad will move on to a more solo career he studies the technology of the stranger whom he and magneto had dealings with and he uses that technology to harass the avengers he tries to kill angel through using a bunch of traps set up in a castle by the supervillain arcade but instead, I think this is really cool. He turns the castle into an amusement park and becomes its caretaker. Eventually, Doctor Doom kicks him out of the castle slash amusement park. And Toad handles that very poorly, going into a, a major depression, becoming suicidal, and realizing that he is codependent. This is when he is met by and befriended by Spider-Man, and he teams with Spider Kid and Frogman as a superhero adventure team called the Misfits. It doesn't last too terribly long, and he leaves the Misfits to return to villainy. Tries to abduct the Scarlet Witch multiple times, but is always thwarted, and he kind of plays at reforming the Brotherhood a couple times, and then he does with blob pyro and fantasia and also sauron he actually transforms carl lycos back into sauron so he kind of ruins poor carl's life after he thought he had gotten out of the evil supervillain man pterodactyl thing and with this new brotherhood he battles x-force and x-factor of course he loses every time Years later, during the X-Men Forever era, Toad is captured along with some other mutants and is part of a time-hopping plan to stop a global threat. It's here that Toad learns that his deformed body is not the result of a mutation, but the result of experimentation by Juggernaut's father, Kurt Marko. This experimentation leaves Toad with an unstable genetic structure. This unstable genetic structure is corrected by some of the stranger's equipment that is still around. And Toad undergoes a complete metamorphosis. He becomes taller and slimmer in appearance. His powers are are augmented. This is when he's going to gain the prehensile tongue. This is when he's going to also be able to like secrete various toxins from his tongue and his skin and He's going to gain some self-esteem here, and he's going to continue joining different incarnations of the Brotherhood Evil Mutants. Of course, none of them last very long. Now, with this newfound confidence, he started. he's a trained expert kickboxer now. He goes to Madripoor and enters the Bloodsport tournament. He wins his first fight and kills a villain known as Eel. Toad, of course, killing Eel by crushing him with Toad's tongue. That's nasty, man. Mm. But the next fight, however, is against none other than our main man, Wolverine. Wolverine, of course, does not expect Toad's new powers and takes a takes a few hits. But of course, Wolverine prevails, spares Toad's life, and Toad slinks away in defeat. Toad is going to show backup on Genosha after the island's annihilation. He shows up to try to rebuild a statue of Magneto, but Magneto reveals himself to Toad during the Planet X storyline, but Toad is not quite the sycophant he used to be, openly questions Magneto, and Magneto in turn is just even worse to Toad. This is when Toad kind of questions whether Magneto's better off being believed dead because his Magneto's world image, his public view, has has taken on this revolutionary figure type role and toad thinks maybe that that's the best use for magneto magneto does not agree this version of magneto will be killed by wolverine after toad is kneecapped by phantom x but of course this is the new x-men era so that wasn't the real magneto that was really zorn
0: keeps coming up
1: yeah it's a whole thing toad will show up during civil war for a little while doesn't do too much there. During the Dark Rain storyline, which I still recommend for you guys to read, Toad is going to show up with hammer agents, Trance and Dragoness. He'll be seen with them. At the beginning of Dark Reign and at the end, so it's assumed that he's working with them for a little while. During Second Coming, when Cyclops deputizes the population of Utopia to help fight off the Nimrod Sentinels from an unknown future, Toad makes a very small appearance in Second Coming. Not a big deal. And that's going to take us up to Regenesis, where Toad is going to side with Wolverine. He's going to head to Westchester. He's going to be the janitor for the Jean Grey school for the gifted. He's going to kind of fall in love with Husk for a little bit. He's going to leave. It's a whole thing. Some bad things happen and he's left dejected. It kind of sucks. But from there, he's going to show up here and there. Nothing too major. Toad is one of those characters been around for a long time. He's been a bit player in a lot of different stories. So there's not a ton just focused around Toad. He's not the centerpiece in many storylines. He's the linchpin in a couple, but for the most part, he is the definition of an ancillary character. Personally, I think there's a lot to be explored with Toad for a character that's been around for so long. I think it could be cool for him to maybe get some focus and, and fleshed out fully, but that's just me.
0: I would agree completely. Yeah. I want to see more of him, learn more about him because as you said, Chris, he does usually play a bit part almost every time. So now we got to talk about Toad in the Marvel movies, in this case, the Fox X-Men movies. And Toad has only made two appearances in the movies. So of course, Chris, his first appearance was in 2000s X-Men. That's the original X-Men. So of course, Toad was actually a major player in this movie. So once again, we're keeping with our theme of the last several weeks where every Brotherhood member has been represented. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, Chris, next episode, which is about Sabretooth, Sabretooth is also represented in this first X-Men movie. So they really were trying to nail down that early X-Men brotherhood team and vibe. And they certainly did that. So in X-Men, he is played by none other than Ray Park, who I'm a big fan of because he plays Darth Maul in these Star Wars prequels. And of course, I'm pretty confident playing Darth Maul got him the job to play Toad. And of course the reasons are are very obvious, but you know, it's it's very cool nonetheless. The reasons are he's mainly a body actor. He usually does not a ton of lines, but more importantly, he is a completely insanely trained martial artist, gymnast and ac- acrobat. So, he did all of his own stunts for Maul, he of course did all his own stunts for Toad. And when you have these type of characters that are so acrobatic. When you get an actual actor who this is their profession, it really does show. And though Ray Park's Toad does not make any future appearances because he, of course, is killed by Storm at the climax of the X-Men movie, he did get to play in this movie and play a major, you know, bit part, as we would call Toad. And and I think Ray Park did a fine job. We do get one more Toad in the Fox X-Men universe, and that is Toad in Days of Future Past, played by Evan Youngkite. And he's a younger actor. Once again, with this Toad, they actually put more prosthetics on his face than they even did with Ray Park. And he actually has the classic Toad glasses as well. So they really just leaned into the more traditional comic book Toad. He plays a small part, of course, in Days of Future Past as well. So those are our only appearances of Toad in the X-Men movies. A couple things we do see though, Chris, of course you mentioned the X-Men movies. We do see Toad uses prehensile tongue a lot. We also see him eat some animals, which kind of furthers his otherworldliness. You know, he grabs a bird oh, with yeah. his tongue here and there, eats them. We also see him spit his debilitating slime on Jean Grey's face really just we see all the toad powers actually in these movies
1: you know and he really kind of plays up the gross which is is touched on on the comics at one point he has a crush on scarlet wish and she's not into it because he literally is gross like (laughs) his personal hygiene was very lacking before you know his kind
0: of getting cool well they play into the gross quite a bit i mean he kills a dove instantly with his like acidic saliva and then he just eats it whole you know props to ray park (laughs) <laughs> so, Great job, Ray. Yeah, I do smile. Slash, you know, I do get a little small smile every every time they sneak it in. But you know, towards the end of the first X Men movie, before he's killed by Storm with the lightning, he breaks off a bar from some sort of metal thing and like spins it around him, like he's ready to use it as a you know blunt weapon. But also, you know, just a little Darth Maul Easter egg right there. And then of course he dies to lightning. Not not shortly after. Of course. Of course. And of course, I do like Chris that I mentioned. They do show him wearing his goggles a lot in both of these movies because he is photosensitive to, you know, bright lights and he suffers from myopia, which of course is the short sighted nearsightedness that they play up a little bit in the movies more than some of the comics do. So that's just the route they go. And I do like that his goggles make an appearance for that reason. You know, I could take or leave the goggles, honestly. I'm glad you like them, though. Yeah, it's just something that I've always kind of tied to him. You know, I, I guess I'm familiar with it from the cartoon, especially, and of course, some of the comics. That's it for a code in the X-Men movies because he does not play a large role, Chris. So, of course, we've got to go into, do you have any comic book recommendations involving
1: Toad? Well, as I was saying earlier, there's not a lot where he's the focus. So I'm just going to tell you guys to go read The New X-Men by Grant Morrison and then go read Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron because, you know... I just love those.
0: Yeah, and you already want to get more Wolverine content, so might as well get Toad in the storylines as well. Yeah, why not? All right, Chris. Well, that's our Toad lore, so let's get over to Toad and MCP. Let's go over to strategy. His name is Toad. His alter ego is Mortimer Toneby. He has five stamina. He's a medium move, a height of two, a threat cost of two. His defenses are three physical, three energy, and three mystic. And on his injured side, Chris, he has a stamina of only three, but that does take him to eight stamina in full. Any thoughts about our two-threat friend here, Toad?
1: I'm a little surprised he's a medium mover. I kind of expected Toad to be a long mover. Yeah. The other thing is for a two-threat character, I really expected at
0: least one of the defenses to be two. You are absolutely correct. He has very solid defenses which I'm okay with. <laughs> oh yeah. And I think the reason why he's not medium, we're going to get into later with his superpowers, but I was thinking of that as well. Another interesting observation that first appeared to me with the character Chris and continues to appear to me going forward. Most of the two threats in the game are eight health like Toad. Some are less, some are more, but it's pretty much eight health for a two threat. What's interesting about almost all of them so far, they're usually four and four. Toad is five and three, so it kind of makes an interesting change to this playstyle of these two threats, where all the other two threats play exactly the same on both sides. Toad, not so much, because on his front side, he's actually a lot tankier than most two threats, because as you said, Chris, he's three across the board and has five health, but inversely, on his back side, he has less health than every other two threat except Rocket, so his backside is a lot riskier. It's just an interesting thing.
1: Yeah, I think he's more of an early game type character because once he flips, man, he's got maybe one, you know, one round of attacks and like left, one character is going to look at him and he's done. That's true. The three across the board does help though. Yeah, three is... It's good. It's very good, especially for a two threat. But let's not pretend like it's going to stop Wolverine from slicing him in one attack Correct. on
0: his injured side. No, you're absolutely right. So, But I think we just got to get into his stats, Chris, because that's a pretty interesting baseline. So let's just get into his attacks. His first attack, it's a physical attack called Tongue Lash that's range three, strength of four, and power cost of zero. I absolutely love that he has a range three strike. After this attack is resolved, Toad gains power equal to the damage dealt. He has a wild trigger of push. If the target character is size two or less before damage is dealt, it may be pushed away from Toad short. I mean, for a two threat character, could you ask for more? Not really. We've talked about how four strength attacks are obviously the weakest in the game, but, you know, range three is great, Chris. Like, he can keep himself further away than some other range two, of course, striking characters. But then lastly, if he gets a wild, even if he doesn't get damage through, as we know how MCP works, if you get a wild, it's happening. Pushes are nice, and they are a big part of this game. So him having a push, it's not going to happen often, but when it does, other size two characters, which is most of the characters in the game, it'll be nice. Definitely not mad at it. His next
1: attack is an energy attack. It is spit acid. It is a range two, strength five, power cost of two. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the incinerate special condition. I think we talked about incinerate a little earlier in the episode, but it is very good. Denying dice to your opponent or forcing them to burn an action to remove this, this condition is, it's just, it's too good. And it happens no matter what. There is no wild trigger on it. You pay the two power for this attack, you roll those dice, and the condition's going to happen whether you get damaged through or not.
0: That's the best part, Chris. If this red, you know, no strength, just pay one power, give an enemy incinerate. I would do it almost every turn. It's just so powerful. It's so powerful. Toad does have get into range too, which is rough. And of course, you know, it's only five dice, but five dice is good on an energy attack because now energy is the least represented defense in the game. But most importantly, Auto incinerate is just great. Toad can go early in a round. He could maybe go pick up an objective, but also spit acid on someone on the way and then, you know, get out of the way on a future round. But more importantly, you set up now a target for Magneto or Sabretooth to come in and absolutely destroy because they are incinerated, which I think is great. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, with his superpowers, he's going to be able to get that spit acid off and then leave if he has the power to pay. So, so true. He could theoretically do two spit acids on two different characters, hand up two different incinerates, and hop away. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's get into his first superpower. It is an active superpower. It is called Finder's Keepers. It will cost you two power, and it will also cost you an action. Choose an allied character within range two of this character. Move one asset or civilian token. The chosen character is holding two Toad. Toad is now holding that token. Toad may not hold more tokens than the crisis specifies. So for two power, if you meet the conditions, you're going to be able to kind of pass the
0: baton to Toad. Yep. And that's great because say one of your bigger characters that's being focus fired a lot by the enemy team has one of these civilians or assets. And of course they're scoring you points every round and giving you some sort of benefit in many other cases. So Toad's in that you know, runs up, picks it up from them and then runs away. And now he's just scoring points and they have to send someone else to go deal with him. It's so annoying because, you know, now that character they were shooting at before is not going to drop it because of course they don't have something to drop when they're dazed. So yeah, they can still daze that character they were already focus firing before, but Toad's running away with the objective, scoring you points, winning you. Marvel Crisis Protocol. Oh, you gotta love it. You really do. His next superpower is also an active superpower called Hop. It also costs two power. Place Toad within range two of his current position. This superpower can be used only once per turn. This is great, Chris. Toad does not need to take a move action sometimes. If you do the superpower, of course, and you can pay for it, well, you've still got your two actions left for the turn even after hopping.
1: There's nothing better than being able to move and still get two attacks off. It makes me so happy.
0: It's very good. It also makes Finder's keepers stronger, right? Because absolutely, you could potentially hop, strike someone, range three, then Finder's Keepers, and then move away medium with your second action with that objective. It seems nice. It could be okay. Let's talk about his next
1: superpower. It is a reactive superpower. It is called Slippery it will also cost two power. After an attack, targeting this character is resolved. If this character was damaged by the attack, it
0: may use this superpower. This character advances medium. Well, his front side being five health just got better, Chris. Absolutely. This is insane. It's my main way I use Toad and actually my favorite part of his kit. It's just really annoying man, it's, it's toad. Yeah. It is toad. You just teed him up to four out of five health. Not only did you give him four power, but he's going to spend two immediately to slip away. So you can't double tap him and finish him off, you know, and now he's got power for his next turn. It's just, it's rough. Yeah. You really need to try to take him out in one hit. Yes. Because notice it does say after the attack is resolved. So if you look at the attack and defend steps of mcp the last 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 step of that back and forth of the attacking and defending actions he of course rolling dice modifying all that the last thing after damage being dealt is the attack is now resolved that's the last thing so he of course has to survive chris like you said so the attack has to be fully resolved damage has to be dealt you know everything that happens with that has to be done then toad can choose to slip but if he's still alive, he's probably going to do it. Absolutely. He has two superpowers left, which are wonderful for everything we've talked about so far. They're both innate. The first one is a innate superpower called Prehensile Tongue. Toad may interact with objective tokens within range two instead of the normal range one. That's sweet. Oh, it's insane because he's breaking the game in his own way. I love it. And just adding to that further control of objectives and movement. He's a wall crawler. So no terrain is ever going to slow him down. This includes Chris when he is slippery. When he moves away medium, he can move on the other side of a size 5 building. The movement temple can make it all the way over the building or just on top of the building to get further away from the enemy because he's a wall crawler, he just doesn't care. So, his movement power is very powerful. But I think probably the main reason you're taking Toad, other than just being a two threat solid unit, is this prehensile tongue. He is a Awesome objective runner. You do not realize how much more range that range two is. It's crazy. It also keeps Toad out of harm's way when he's picking up objectives.
1: Oh yeah. He doesn't he doesn't want to be anywhere near
0: the actual action. Which is so thematic. Oh yeah, it's perfect. I just love him so much, Chris. Um, this prehensile tongue makes him a strong player. Also, you know, you can see the synergy between all these things, finders keepers, like he can take a token from someone on your team within range two. He can hop range 2. He can interact with objectives at range 2. So, he's got all these great things that happen at range 2 for him, but then he's also got slippery where he gets to move medium away, you know, and then he's got a range 3 attack and a range 2 attack. So, his kit, everything is it's very simple. It's all there, but something that is hard to manage with him and it's pretty obvious is you can't afford to do all this all the time. Oh, no. And obviously, he's a low health character, so unlike higher health characters, There's not going to be like a turn where you just get beat on a lot and then you can do a bunch of this because he would have been dazed already, right? So you really have to manage his power carefully. And I think the most important thing is with him is to be maybe a little safer, apprehensive in the earlier rounds, and maybe just go aggressive in the last rounds because you really don't care as much. Do they really want to waste bunch of attacks on toad right it's pretty wild but i think in the early rounds of the game he can interact with objectives he can grab them he can take them places i just did this the other day i played with toad we were evacuating the civilians which of course is the star lord objective and i just grabbed a civilian you know turn one i barely walked up and you know it was already range two. grabbed it and then walked back and then you know I just put Toad in a position to be safe for a little while, and when he eventually reached that six power, you of course spend the six power and evacuate the civilian. And he was a great piece just for that, you know. And that's that's what's so interesting on an objective like that, Chris, where it's like, say it's round two, Toad's already at two power. Do you really want to daze him? And Take him up to six or seven power, and then of course, you know, maybe next turn he could pick that civilian back up and easily evacuate them. He asks interesting questions with objectives that involve interacting and moving tokens, and I really do like that.
1: Well, it adds a whole another dimension to the game and it brings that kind of objective focus to the mutants that they don't quite have yet. So he he's wonderful in the Brotherhood to kind of just be that objective runner while your Magneto and your Sabretooth just beat on people.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned he's a good fit in the brotherhood because Magneto and Sabretooth are going to do a lot of that major damage. But of course, Toad and Mystique are these great objective runners. They kind of skirt around the sides of the board and they've got some really interesting things to do and say in the game. Now, of course, Toad is going to be in probably most of your brotherhood list because one of the difficulties with Magneto is that he's a six threat leader. So having Magneto plus Toad is only eight and you're already at two out of the number in your team to get that more than half. So I think you're going to see Toad a lot in Brotherhood, a lot, a lot, probably more, a lot more than Sabretooth for this very reason. He's going to help you get that affiliation, and that's going to be really important. But I also do think, Chris, I have a couple more places that Toad fits that I do want to mention and discuss to the listener. And that, of course, is I think he's a good candidate for the criminal syndicate. So I'm going to read the, of course, the first part of the illicit network for the criminal syndicate once per turn at any time during an allied character's activation. It may spend two power to use this leadership, move one asset or civilian token being held by the active character to another character within range three. A character cannot hold more tokens than allowed by the crisis due to this leadership ability. And of course, also as a criminal syndicate, all characters count as two on objectives. So we already talked about Toad with his finders keepers. You could even finders keepers, and then you could pull that asset from Toad that you've already pulled from the front lines back to another criminal syndicate member further back. So it's a really interesting way to move objectives all around. Never let the enemy know exactly where your tokens are being held. Honestly, I think it's a good fit. And also Toad being counting as two on an objective. It's just absolutely annoying. Like, do you really want to waste your attacks to kill him because he's counting as two bodies (laughs) on an objective in the criminal syndicate? It's really fitting for him. I
1: like the idea of him kind of slinking around in the background on the criminal syndicate too.
0: Absolutely. It
1: it adds a whole nother level of dastardly to that whole kind
0: of vibe they've got going on. I, I kind of dig that. He also fits a couple other places, Chris, that are pretty strong. One of my current favorite places to put him in is in Miles' affiliation and the Web Warriors. You know, of course, the Web Warriors' leadership is allied characters may reroll one defense dice. So Toad's three defenses across the board and his five health, he gets more tanky. But additionally, you know, they can also modify and reroll skulls when they're holding or contesting objective tokens. So if Toad's holding a civilian and he's a Web Warrior, he also can modify and reroll skulls, you know, if things go right. So it just fits. They're already a wall crawling team. They're already a mobile team that wants to get objectives, not do big fights and, you know, get out. And I think Toad slots right in. He's currently in my web warriors team and I'm having a blast with him in there. And it just thematically kind of works too. You know, it just kind of works.
1: Oh man, I love it. I've got, I've got to try this.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just so fun, Chris. Like I, I think interacting with objectives in and at a longer distance, like Toad with his prehensile tongue, on a team who already interacts with objectives a lot and and moves around the map a lot. You know, you got Miles, Gwen, and Spider Man out there, and you got Toad as well. It fits really well. But also, you know, I do think Toad can be a lot of places, Chris. I mean, like he even is fine in Avengers. Can you imagine any of these superpowers costing one instead of two? These are all decent powers getting to hop or slip away for one is also oppressive. I think he's a good fit in Avengers. What's so interesting is he's one of these characters. I think he's just a strong two threat. So he fits a lot of places and you know, he's, he's no stranger to the X-Men either storm's team where she already gets to reposition characters and give them cover, right? Toad having cover is nice. There's a lot of places this guy can fit, you know, it works. I think he
1: is one of the more easy to fit in two drops in the game, but That's kind of the theme with all these two drops though, right? Yeah. Is that they're all kind of really niche useful. They all do one thing pretty well, and they're pretty limited to that one thing. But the beautiful thing about them is each one is so useful in any given spot. I think the two threats as a group might be
0: my favorite threat group in MCP. Mm, Very nice. Yeah, they're all very specialized. Right, and I dig that. It's really fun, and also another thing about the Tooth Rats, Chris, which we can never, ever slight. I think you're always going to take one in your ten man roster, at least one. So mm. don't think we can ever forget about them. I know Okoye is just solid all around, and even the Corset Black Widow is just very solid all around. But we're getting a lot of interesting options these days. You know, we got Rocket, who's the high damage dealer. We've got Toad, who's the objective runner, even more so than Black Widow in a lot of ways. We've got Nebula, who's just purely the assassin who hits above her threat to cost, but she can't do anything with objectives. We've got a lot of interesting things going on with these two threats in the game. What's interesting about all this is, as you said, Chris, they always play a role on your team. They always do something, even if they're just sitting on an objective for half the game and the second half of the game, they come in and engage. The enemy team they did their job and toad is no different toad is no slouch either chris and i'm going to echo what you said earlier i think he's very powerful early game hence why i also think he fits really well in criminal syndicate and maybe the brotherhood if they get objectives early those teams can really steamroll the game later on so i think toad's biggest strength is getting in there early grabbing assets quickly and getting out early game and yeah maybe late game he comes in and does a acid spit or something and really helps but he's mainly a guy he's just messing with the objectives and you're asking questions of the enemy do you really want to waste your attack on toad i don't sometimes you have to though sometimes you have to it doesn't mean i want to (laughs) It's so true
1: Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons.
0: You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Finest and follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at Finest at gmail.com. And leave us reviews on the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps, guys. Of course, don't forget that we have our Tea Public page, which we always link in our episodes. We haven't talked about it in some time. Just want to mention it because it's a fun way to get some Fury's Finest merch in the form of shirts, apparel, stickers, and much more. And of course don't forget to go to across the bifrost.com where we post all of our episodes. But of course, more importantly, all these other great content creators are also posting content alongside us. So it's just a good place to go, you know, once a week or even more than once a week and just see what the community is putting out. Read those blogs, watch those videos, like the great content from Nate at the Gamers Guild. Listen to these other wonderful podcasts. It's just a great place to have it all in one nexus.
1: It's very cool. And it just shows how enthusiastic the Crisis Protocol player base is about the game. Absolutely. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse was saying, please help
0: spread the word, rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's just at Jesse Aiken, J-S-S-E-E-A. KIN, you know, now that hopefully the world's getting calmer and my life, you know, getting more stabilized, hoping to post a lot more gaming content on my social media like I've done in the past, you know, painting terrain, battle setups of MCP and Legion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, follow me there if you're interested in that type of content. Of course, check out my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina, all about Star Wars story, lore, and Canon. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett,
1: B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. And uh, this week, we're probably going to be
0: praising Lou Dort. Oh, there you go. That's a Chris Bruffett tweet right there in the making. It'll happen. (laughs) Well, guys, we appreciate you guys following us on this episode. Of course, we've had some pretty robust ones lately. Toad was just going to be shorter. So we hope you enjoyed this shorter form episode and we look forward to seeing you next episode. Thanks for listening. True believers. Excelsior.